Work Stories is a place for women of color to share their experiences in the workplace. We're no longer whispering these stories to our best friends and partners and then shoving them to the backs of our minds and just dealing. We're talking about bias, equal pay, bad bosses, racist hiring practices, and all the crazy things your coworkers have done or said to you. This is a safe place to tell those stories. The floor is open, y'all. We are telling it all. A common theme around a lot of Work Stories episodes is patience. We're waiting to break into industries we're interested in, waiting to make the money for the lifestyle that we want, waiting to get more responsibility and be able to command a room because people know how talented we are. But what if you had everything you wanted 10 years ago? Our next guest has zoomed through her education and has now been a commercial litigator at one of the top law firms in the world for more than a year. Oh, did I forget to mention she's 24? Let's hear her story. Let's start off. Just tell the audience a little bit about yourself. Sure. My name is Imani Maatuka. I was born and raised in Champaign, Illinois. Then I went to North Carolina Agricultural and Technical State University for undergrad, Aggie Pride. <laughs> um, and after that, I went back closer to home, St. Louis, and I did three years of law school at Washington University. Um, I come from a family of attorneys, so I always knew this is something that I wanted to do. Um, and now I am living my dream. So that's just a little bit about me. I was so interested when I like saw your bio because I was like, first of all, come on, HBCU grad. We love to see it. Um, And I was like, journalism, because I was also a journalism major. Kind of made me chuckle for a second because I remember my parents being like, you should go to law school. But I was like, I'm in this major. And of course, like I could see some relation points, but I just didn't understand how they were seeing I could pivot into that. So then I saw your resume and I'm like, okay, you figured out how to pivot. So... Yeah, tell us about that and like what inspired that. You know, so I actually have an interesting take on undergrad, right? And Mm. like choosing a major and all of that. So one, I think as an initial matter, my mom was also a journalism mass comm major. So like I kind of knew and had that like experience beforehand knowing like this is kind of what to expect this is what you're going to do blase blase right so that's on one hand but then on the other hand my dad like sat me down and he was like listen you know you want to go to law school you know you want to go to law school for free so when you're attacking undergrad why not do something you're good at why not do something that comes naturally to you and so that's just what you know, PR, mass communications, all of that was for me. I was already a great writer. I love kind of being the center of attention and, you know, um, being in the mix and, you know, being that person who was going to tell the story. And so like that was always just one of my passions. And in high school, I actually started this event promotional company, which was like the predecessor to my PR firm. And With that, you know, I was like taking on these huge events as a freaking high schooler. It was ridiculous Um, where I would rent out like a whole ballet studio or I'd rent out, you know, a campus bar or something like that. And I was making upwards of like 10,000 per event, which was absolutely ridiculous. But then I realized like this event planning, this marketing, all of this was kind of PR. And so like, basically, when I had that conversation with my father, and I was like, listen, you know, you have all these strengths, you have this skill set that you've already been building upon in high school why not look into something that just advances that? And that's kind of how I stumbled on PR, mass communications, all of that. So it's the combination of one, having a mother who 
literally did it, paved the way, and made me more comfortable with it. And then also having the skill set that I think um, really makes a, a major like that more feasible. Yeah. Okay. Wait, I'm just $10,000 an event as a high schooler. Yeah. Crazy. That's insane. <laughs> okay. Crazy. So a little bit about your upbringing. I just want to go back for a second. Growing up in a family of, of attorneys, Mm -hmm. <laughs> do you just like eat success for breakfast do you just feel <laughs> like fueled like that because that's really ambitious well I think it's I think it's ambition combined with serendipity right mm -hmm. so I was a three-sport athlete while in high school so what that meant pragmatically was you do not have time for a job like my friends were working at McDonald's after school for three four hours keeping some money in their pocket which mm -hmm totally support that's amazing but when you're like a full-time athlete you don't have time to go to McDonald's for four hours because you're going to practice and right. then after practice you know you're trying to figure out some time to you know finish that homework and then you go to sleep wake up and do it all over again so I just had like a timing issue where I couldn't get the conventional high school job and I had to defer to kind of like be an entrepreneur and make something out of nothing. And you know, I had not to toot my own horn, but you know, <laughs> athletes at most schools, most people know them because they're athletes. So I had that benefit where I had a lot of friends at various different schools because we were competing against each other. We would play travel team with each other. And so when I decided, oh, I'm just going to rent out this place. And it was so cheap. The first event, like it was very, very humble beginnings. You know, mm -hmm. I convinced this dude, he had an art gallery downtown Champaign, Illinois. And he was like, yeah, pay me $400. You, you kids can have it for the night. He had no idea what he was getting into. And I was like, oh, $400. Okay. I found some guys off of Craigslist who were willing to act as security guards for me. And then um, I like, it was $7 pre-sale, $10 at the door. I had a friend. I was like, if you make a flyer for me, you'll get in for free. All of my friends, I was like, you sell 50 tickets, you get in for free. And they they didn't care because it was like, I just want to go to a good party. And my parents won't know what we're doing. And, you know, Imani's throwing it. So, like, everyone's going to be cool and be there. So, it was definitely just sheer luck and also a matter of convenience. You know, at the time, that's what worked for me. And it just happened to be a hit. Very impressive. I very I'm like let me go call my nieces right now and be like y'all need to be doing some more than what you're doing I love to hear that and so when you have a mindset like that at 16 17 years old and I'm sure before that how does that dictate your trajectory as you are planning for your career and going through school like what type of person are you becoming you know what is going through your mind through all of this on one hand I do feel like I was blessed to be raised in a family that really valued hard work you know and like what we all consider the quote-unquote success story right mm -hmm. um and so there's that one part but then I also think once you've had that taste of success once you you know especially as a child you become privy to you know the other side of things and the fruits of your labor and what comes from hard work I think for me it just made me even more glossy eyed and more hungry where I was like okay like what's the next level how can I get there what do I have to do in order to get there you know what I mean and like contriving this master plan to make sure that I can keep having that feeling and being proud of myself for the fruits of my labor. Yeah. So it's like you're always chasing this high of sorts, right? <laughs> yeah. Okay. So tell us about your decision to go into specifically quote unquote big law. When I think of that, I think, so you work all the time. <laughs> <laughs> Let me 
ask you, why do you think of that? Because I tell people that all the time, but I feel like that is not the first thing that comes to people's mind when they hear big law. Really? I think because I have some friends who have worked in the same sector and that was their life, particularly in their 20s. You know, it shifts a little bit once they had families and went into their 30s. And, you know, I think there's light at the end of the tunnel, but it seemed like one of those careers where it's about approving yourself. And part of proving yourself was putting in the actual time, Absolutely. you know, just how it goes, right? Right to passage. Yeah. And I feel like big law is absolutely like the best career for an ex-athlete because it's all about the grind. And for me personally, I did have an aunt who went the big law track and then she actually went in-house. I just remember growing up and being like, oh my God, I want to be just like her. Like she had all the best bags. Like she was just <laughs> like, she would walk in a room and you would be like captivated by her beauty. She was just like everything that the quintessential boss, mm -hmm. you yeah. know, she was smart, beautiful, a hardworking mom. Like she had it all. I remember when she was building her house and it was like a smart home. And that was the first smart home I'd ever been in. And she was showing me like, oh, you just do this. And then all these drawers come out. And I was like, I want to be you. Yeah. Combined with my mother, you know, who of course I idolized my entire life. And so I just had all of these women in my life who just showed me just the myriad of different facets of the legal industry. And so that's kind of how it happened. And then, you know, you have the one-on-one -on -one chats with very mentors who tell you, you know, if you want to be in a place like this, well, this is how you get here. You know, you go to one of the top law schools, you get good grades, you do the OCI thing, and then it kind of happens. And so mm. I was extremely blessed just to have that kind of roadmap for me and have people pour into me and let me know, like, if you want to be here, this is how you get there. So it sounds like as a, you know, former athlete, you're enjoying the competition of it all. And so does that absolve you from feeling the pressure that also comes with all of this? Well, you know, it's kind of like pressure makes diamonds. And so I think <laughs> being an athlete, I understand what you get from the hard work, what you get from perseverings. And I know that it's making me a better woman, a better person, a better lawyer. Honestly, I feel like I'm in the best career for Imani Malatuka because I am so competitive by nature. Litigation, I think, is literally one of the most competitive facets of the legal industry, you know? And so what other practice would be better for an ex-athlete and for someone who's so competitive and someone who has that drive? So I, I have loved it. Wow. I Yeah. This I'm like getting a lot of energy from you right now. Like I'm, <laughs> I'm inspired to go do something that I've been loafing on, you know, I've been saying, just yeah. talking about it. Now I want to do it. <laughs> Absolutely. Absolutely. So let's talk about how all of this translates for you as a black woman. Like, did you feel the pressure or eyes on you in law school before you were even out kind of working in the field? So that's interesting because I do think we talk about intersectionality all the time, right? And so mm -hmm. like how it feels to be not only black, but a woman. But I think I had a whole bunch of other things working where I had a very unique experience, especially when it came to law school. So mm -hmm. like, for example, I did undergrad in three years. Right. So mm -hmm. I started at ANT at 17 years old and I graduated at 20 years old. So when I got to law school, I couldn't even legally drink. And so, <laughs> like, even outside of being a black woman, I think being the youngest in the class, literally a baby, you know, I think like the median age in my law school class was probably 26, 27. And you have a 20 year old who hasn't even experienced life coming into yeah. this field with people 
who, you know, have PhDs, who have children, have been married maybe once or twice, you know, and I was just stumbling upon, you know, various life experiences, you know, grasping certain concepts. I think even outside of being a Black woman, like, I had a very unique experience just being like the baby and the youngest mm-hmm. in my class. And, you know, having that sense of imposter syndrome in a sense where it's like, okay, well, maybe should I have taken a few years off? You know, should I really be a 20 something in law school when all my friends are out being hot girls? (laughs) Am I I making the right decision? You know, but I mean, I think I just kind of leaned into that feeling. I really embraced that transitional period. I had an amazing village around me who made sure that I felt secure and made me know that I was like doing the right thing and that if anyone could do it, it was me. But I do think that age and that inexperience really played a factor in my law school experience. I mean, having that village is is so important. And I feel like some people have the potential to do all of these things, but they don't have the right people around them to make them feel secure in it. As you were going through law school, being the youngest, being the baby, what benefits did being young provide you when it came to learning your craft? Well, definitely energy. (laughs) (laughs) I think I was was definitely running circles around some of the people who are coming back to school. So I think I never stopped learning. I never stopped being a student. I think law school can be very difficult if you ever had to like come out of that student mindset and then come back into it. Like right now, right? Now that I have my big girl job and I'm working, I could only imagine if someone was like, yeah, wake up at eight in the morning and come do this two hour lecture and then do this paper about X or whatever. And I'm like, oh, I'm not getting paid for this. Wait, (laughs) (laughs) you know what I mean? So like just that in itself, I think can be a lot to deal with. But I think one of the better attributes of being the youngest is, you know, you are kind of this prodigy, you know, this young savant, you kind of get that brand, you know, affixed to you, whether you ask for it or not, even from Mm -hmm. an interview standpoint, or just like speaking to colleagues and professors, whenever they would realize how young I was, they were immediately impressed, which to my favor, you know, that meant maybe I don't have to work as hard to impress me press you because you're already impressed by the fact that I'm in the room with you. You know what I mean? Just by way of the fact that I'm a 20 something with maybe 28 to 30 year olds. So I think it really worked to my favor, but I've always been the youngest too, which is odd. Um, And so I feel like my entire life, I've kind of had to mature faster than someone in similarly situated circumstances would have to. But yeah. I think about meeting young people, whatever that is at the time, young in whatever environment. Mm -hmm. And you think like, oh, wow, like you're so mature. And I'm sure that's what you were getting in law school. Um, But I do think sometimes people overlook the fact that technical things haven't happened yet. Like you said, I can't legally drink. (laughs) Um, My brain isn't developed and you're learning about the law, human behavior, all of these like large grandiose concepts. And so what do you feel like people overlooked and and maybe still do about working with somebody who is young, but really mature? I mean, I think you nailed it on the head. You know, for example, I remember being in my property class and the professor making a joke about we were talking about mortgages, right? Mm -hmm. And I like sat there for a moment and I was like, I think everyone in this room has bought property except me. (laughs) And like that was like a mind boggling experience because, you know, like if you can just imagine and put yourself in my shoes, you know, where it's almost like everyone has this leg up on you just by way of the fact that they've gone through and had certain lived experiences that you just haven't had yet. And these concepts and these ideas may come naturally because you've experienced it yourself. You know what I mean? Or like, 
and I didn't take family law in law school, but I did have to study it for the bar. But I can just imagine like some of those concepts not being so nuanced and difficult to understand had I been married, you know what I mean? Mm, Had I been divorced, had I, you know, went through, God forbid, a terrible loss where I had to go through probate and, you know, maybe someone dying in testate, you know, just these concepts that are fact of life, if you will, that with age and experience, you naturally go through. I just didn't have that. And I think also, in some regard, you know, my youth played to my benefit, but it can also play to your detriment. You know, when you have these new experiences, and you're just learning, oh, what you shouldn't say around certain people, and maybe how to conduct yourself professionally with certain sex or certain groups of people. And all of that is just lived experience, you know. And so I think some people, you got that earlier, you know, you had that corporate life, and you worked up the corporate ladder. And then at the end, you decided I don't like this, I want to go to law school, but you brought all of that with you to your law school experience versus Mm -hmm. me who came from undergrad. And, you know, I operated very professionally and great for an undergrad student, but there were just certain things like that, that I think I was missing. Um, And I think people overlook that all the time and don't realize, you know, you are kind of playing in a totally different field for better or for worse. Yeah. So you, you know, move through school, do really well, and then you get your job at your big firm. What have the challenges been for you there? Um, I think the challenges are really similar to law school, actually, because what's similar to law school in your first year of big law are the fact that it's this huge transitional period, right? So in law school, it was a transitional period of, okay, undergrad and law school are totally like they could not be astronomically different. Like they are two different worlds. And I think with transitioning from being a student your entire life to now, okay, enter corporate America, you're on this rigid schedule, you're moving to a city where, you know, your friends don't live down the street from you anymore. Mm -hmm. You can't have your mom drive five minutes to come and see you and save the day. And that adjustment, I think people don't really talk about all of these major transitional moments. I think it's like, you almost have to embrace the suck, you know, because it does suck. And sometimes it's sad. And sometimes it's overwhelming. And I think it's important where your village comes in where you have those people who tell you this is normal. This is a fact of life, you're not doing anything wrong, you didn't make a mistake. And even as much as it hurts, sometimes, sometimes it might suck, you're on the right course. And you just kind of have to hunker down and stay true to yourself. So I think that's what's been just the most difficult being in a transitional moment in your life and adjusting accordingly. Yeah. Can you tell us like a little bit about what your day to day looks like at work? It really looks like, you know, a lot of research and writing meetings with clients, maybe negotiations with opposing counsel, a lot of drafting of briefs, letters, things of that nature, maybe a lunch with friends. And that's like just the conventional, like, especially as a litigator, most of your day is reading, writing, drafting, lots of legal research, lots of opining on things and arguing with your colleagues about, well, what's the better argument and what position do we want to take here and things like that. Yeah. So are you having fun? Do you feel like doing these things is fun? 
Absolutely. I mean, one, it, it goes back to our earlier conversation, you know, being competitive by nature, right? Mm-hmm, like I like right. to win anytime we win on even like the most simple motion, you know, it could be a discovery issue where we didn't want to produce a document. And then the judge says, okay, they don't have to produce it. That's a win. Yeah, <laughs> and yeah. we celebrate that accordingly. And I think the other thing, you know, with big law, I know you said you had some friends in the industry, mm-hmm. and I'm sure they've shared with you, you know, it kind of almost feels like high school in some regard, because you work with these people so much and so often, you know, and I was fortunate enough to work at a firm with people I genuinely like. And so Mm -hmm. if you could imagine like going to work and hanging out all day with your friends, you know, and even though it's a grind, right? And even though some sometimes it might be less than ideal, you know, you're still doing it with people, you're in the trenches with people that genuinely care about you and want you know, the best for you and want to see you succeed. And for me, that's fun. It's almost like I'm, I literally feel like if, if we're going to do a sports analogy, like I'm on a team and we're all in this together and, you know, we have these games and sometimes we win, sometimes we lose. And even if we're winning or losing, at least I'm with my team and that's what's fun. Nice. Oh my gosh. Um, what would you say to people who, I, I would say that they move quickly like you, right? <laughs> you guys get it. You know what you want to do. You move up the ladder very quickly. And, you know, for those of us who have a slower trajectory, I, I'm going to just say for me, from the outside, it looks very glamorous and shiny. Like <laughs> it, it looks like, oh my gosh, you know, how can we get here? And I think everybody probably knows somebody was like, who just like killed it, just went yeah. and kept going. Um, But I think it can be, I'm imagining that I'm not seeing all sides of it and that it can be really overwhelming. And, you know, you're not always maybe treated that well. Are there challenges you don't expect? Are there's a lot of pressure? Like, how are you combating that? And how are you implementing things in your daily life? So those type of things don't burn you out. Yeah. Well, so one, I, I really want to emphasize one thing you said, you know, I think it's a lot of sacrifice too, you know, and that's what people don't talk about. And I think we get into this danger zone almost when we compare ourselves to the other person, you know, there's Mm -hmm. that saying the grass is always greener on the other side. I absolutely think when I advise, you know, up and coming pre-law students, or just my mentees who are, you know, coming through undergrad, I always tell them do what's best for you, you know, don't compare yourself to my or whatever your idea of my success is, or someone else's, you know, really think about what you want to be and how you want to get there. Because just as we spoke about before, there are some things that, you know, maybe an older, like more seasoned law student brings to the table that a baby 20 year old just absolutely can't. And there are probably firms that are specifically seeking out, you know, the former rather than the latter, you know, and they have that advantage, that strategic advantage over me. And so even though, like you said, it might look glossy and butterflies and rainbows from the outside looking <laughs> in because people like that story. You know, they yeah. like that, you know, 30 under 30 type story. Oh, she's so young. But I do think like people should really recognize the value of you perfecting that craft, you taking that time to develop personally, emotionally, professionally, whatever that might be. And whatever is for you is for you. Um, And so regardless of what Imani Malatuka might have done, maybe it was better for you to take that two 
year instead of a gap year and get that professional experience before you came to law school. Or maybe it was better for you to go get a master's and get your GPA up before applying to law school. You know what I mean? Like there are so yeah. many different paths to success. It's like you can't just put, you know, the stamp and say, this is it. This is all you have to do. It's so frustrating sometimes because, you know, I... I have to deal with this, especially throughout my own mentorship, kind of trying to convince people that the path I took is not the only path and or even should be the path for them. You know what I mean? And I think I, I really blame social media because we all kind of glorify young and, you know, this instantaneous um, success or this idea of instant gratification when it's like, I mean, just like you said, like if you pull the cover behind on me, even like, you'll see one, a lot of privilege, you know, which I think is really important in a conversation like this. Mm -hmm. But the other thing you'll see is a grind that I don't think a lot of people need to or want to subject themselves to and a lot of sacrifices, you know, and so like, one thing I talk to my therapist about all the time is like, just this kind of idea in reflection, like, should I have taken it more slowly? Am I missing out on just life things? You know what I mean? But on the outside looking in, you look at Imani Malatuka and you're like, oh, I want to be her. And it's, she's so successful, blah, blah, blah. And it's just like, you know, everyone has their thing and you just need to find yours. Yeah. When I think about friends that had similar courses as you, I think, yeah, their lives looked really like shiny when we were in our early 20s and they had all this resource and we were like eating ramen noodles still. Um, <laughs> but they weren't out at the parties doing like the wild, crazy things that we were doing weeknights, weekends, like they had to stay home. They had to make like very adult decisions also. And so I think we over overlook that. And so when I think about what they were specifically doing as an individual, I'm like, yeah, no, I wouldn't sacrifice that. I, I would want to party instead of doing that. But that wasn't my passion. Exactly. So then I think it seems like the key is what is, you know, for everyone listening, what is that thing that fires you up? You like geek out about, like you're competitive about, you get a huge goofy smile on your face when you think about that is worth the late nights, the grind, the hustle, the like missing the party. And it's like everybody has to find that thing for them. Exactly. What do you value? Yeah. Okay. So what would you say to black and brown women who are finding great success, but you know, they feel like other people are intimidated by their success, whether it be men, whether it be like women who look exactly like them, you know, what would you say for them? How should they handle that? I mean, I would one say put on the blinders because they don't matter. <laughs> I'm like so for, yes. you know, finding your people and finding those people that pour into you and someone who does not do that for you. Like, why are you still even talking to them they shouldn't even be in your life you know what I mean and like because right. I think life is so short and especially with you know we're kind of like looking in the rearview mirror at COVID in some regard but I think like that whole pandemic for everyone was just such a turning point and for myself I was like I'm not giving any more energy to people who do not fulfill me for people mm -hmm. who do not want the best for me for people who don't make me hungrier make me want to grind or even those people when I'm feeling you know at my work and I'm feeling like I just need a hug and someone to cry on who aren't there for me. You know what I mean? And so like to the women who are finding themselves in these situations surrounded with people like that, I mean, I would 
would say take a look in the mirror and really push yourself to have that courage and that confidence to get rid of the people who don't want the best for you and to surround yourself with those who do. Yeah, perfectly said. Imani, thank you so much. Great advice, great energy. And I think people will take a lot away from this. Oh, thank you so much for having me. This was so much fun. And it was so nice to meet you. Nice meeting you. I think Imani represents the possibility we all want for ourselves and for the generations coming behind us. What do they say? Do something you love and you'll never work a day in your life. And I'd add, you'll probably be really good at it too. (laughs) How are you working towards having a job that you're really passionate about? That doesn't mean you won't have to work really hard and sacrifice and face some adversity from time to time. It just means it'll be worth it. Take care.